the most, and I don't know if you felt it if you were here, we had the most two amazing services this last two weeks. And it's been crazy. It's caused me to rethink the idea of, hey, we're going to sing two songs, Jason's going to get up and say something, then we're going to sing two songs, then we're going to pray. Like, interacting and being real and relational with God is a, is a huge part of it. And over these last two weeks, at least, during service, I've felt God move in that way. And I want to encourage you to step into that uh, as we kind of walk out of this Hearing God series and we walk into this uh, series uh, called Protege of First and Second uh, Timothy. Uh, I'm equally as excited about uh, this next series that we're going to walk into as a church, a series that we're embarking in on today. Uh, this idea of a relational calling, a relational calling that God is calling each and every one of us uh, into. Um, we're going to walk through the book of First and Second Timothy, uh, and uh, and and I did receive uh, some immediate feedback on that idea, questioning why I would uh, I would want to uh, walk through these books specifically. And we're going to do it in a, in a little different way. I said, it's a, one person told me we'll have ta fun talking about women in ministry, slavery. Uh, sexual identity and homosexuality have fun talking about um, uh, uh, um, uh, leadership structure of the church have fun talking about and so throughout the books of first and second Timothy a lot of in, a lot of instruction is written in there but what we're going to do is we're going to and I, and I say those things because I, I know that those are topics that tweak your ear a little bit and you think oh we're going to talk about that stuff well we are we are but what I want to encourage you to do, and hopefully what even hearing those things does, is it causes you to go to your Bible and read First and Second Timothy and, and, and see what's in there and what's written in there. But what we're going to do as a church is we're going to uh, look at it uh, in a way that's, that, that I feel in order for us to know and understand what Paul is writing to Timothy at this time, um, we're going to look at how it was written. To who it was written to, Paul to Timothy, right? We're going to look at uh, the culture and the time of what was going on. We're going to look at the way God used Paul, probably, well, hands down, the most prolific New Testament writer of the Bible, and, and, and where Paul's coming from. And we're going to look even specifically at the relationship that Timothy and Paul had with each other and how that impacted the, the writing of the letter and what Paul is doing for Timothy at that time. Uh, the book of First and Second Timothy, their epistles, uh, the New Testament is full of letters. Uh, those letters are uh, the letters that one, there's a group of them that go to the church. Ephesians goes to the church of Ephesus. Uh, Corinthians is a letter written to the church of Corinth. Philippians is a church that's written to the letter the church of Philippi. And so those are the epistle letters that are written to the churches. And then there's a few letters in uh, the Bible that are the pastoral epistles. And so Timothy, if you didn't know, specifically was uh, Paul writing a letter to Timothy, a person, uh, a pastor that he was actually sending and, and calling out to, uh, to, to, to reach essentially the, the church of Ephesus. Um, and so it's a pastoral epistle. Now, you might think, well, uh, if it's a pastoral epistle, why would uh, Jason choose to share that with us as a church? Because it sounds like it's a letter written to a pastor. 
Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, on the surface, that's kind of what it sounds like. But without a doubt, what is written in the, in the book of First and Second Timothy are instructions for those that are, have that personal relationship with Jesus that are leading their households. Because here's the deal. Each one of you, <laughs> I knight you pastor. No, each one of you are that influence in your workspace. Each one of you are that influence in your household. Each one of you are that influence with your children or with other people that you are in charge of, like you, or that you have not in charge of, that you have relational impact with. This idea of relational building and relational impact with. I call it uh, the, your sphere of influence. So the people around you that, have you, that, have, uh, that you have influence over. And so the book of First and Second Timothy are written to us, the church, with instruction uh, on, on how to live our lives. Now, you have to realize that Paul, uh, Paul writes this to Timothy uh, at the end of their ministry days together. So towards the end of uh, their time where they've worked together, uh, where they've gotten to know each other, uh, Paul first meets Timothy in the town of Lystra, or Lystra, in, um, and it's super uplifting to me because even in the midst of what, what I'm sharing with you this morning, what we're talking about, um, the importance that we have as a church is that uh, when Paul meets Timothy, Timothy is known for his faith based on the faith of his mom and his grandma. His mother, or his grandmother Lois and his mom Eunice. And, and, and so Paul recognizes the faith in these two women that they have passed down to Timothy. And because the faith that is welled up in him that has been passed down to him, Paul recognizes this faith and calls him to go on these journeys, these missionary journeys with him. Uh, this youthfulness, in, in his, even in his faith, uh, is, what, is what Paul recognizes. And what we've done as a church all along the way is we've modeled and valued our children incredibly. It's been that way since day one. When we planted this church, when the Mannings had toddlers, now we have grown humans. It's, it's you know, but we've, we value that. And, and here's the deal, church. Each one of us, whether you have kids or not, whether you're empty nesters or whether you're a, a middle schooler or a high schooler that's, that's got uh, littler kids looking up at you now as our little kids fill the classrooms and our older kids help teach, um, uh, we model what we value. Parents, as a whole, demonstrate to their children what they consider to be important and valuable. And that's actually what we model to our sphere of influence as well. What is important and valuable in our life, it, that being our personal relationship with Jesus, that being following our Creator, that be recognizing His position in our lives. If we model and value that importance, the people around us will see that. That's why we do what we do. That's why. I mean, that's why I squirm around and we do a mystery box. That's why here in a few works, we're going to actually work back towards allowing some of our younger kids to join us in worship. If you haven't been around, if you were around pre-COVID, you know that our littler kids, like our fourth and fifth graders, they would be up here worshiping with us normally. They would stand here and hear the prayers that are prayed and sung, and they get to look across a room and see adults Worshiping. It's not some mystical mystery of what we do up here. 
It's, it's something that we want to invite and value and model for our children so that they see the importance that we have and desire to worship and pray in that same way. And some of that is written all throughout this book of Timothy, First uh, and Second Timothy. God uses the strong faith of others to bring people into the family. God uses the faith of others to bring people into relationship with him, bring people to him relationally, right? 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. I'm going to read through it, and then uh, we're going to expand on it a little bit. It says this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 says, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, uh, I constantly remember you in prayer, recalling your tears. And again, you got to remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy. And you'll hear the deepening of this relationship that's happening. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your mother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit of God uh, gave us what for for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Those are the words of truth that God speaks to us: the abundance, the blessings, the uh, the power, the love, the discipline. Those are the the words of truth that God wants us to press into. And that writing there in 2 Timothy, and we'll get to 2 Timothy in the coming weeks, but uh, that is a writing of deep relational connection that Paul and Timothy had. That connection started with Paul uh, when he saw that faith in Timothy, and you see it, uh, that Paul actually, he actually gathered an entire team, Barnabas and Silas, and, and they went on these ministry journeys together. Uh, and, and, and those ministry journeys that Paul went on, those are in Acts, Acts 13 through 21. Uh, here's a picture of Paul's first uh, missionary journey. Uh, and I don't know if you can see it, but uh, it just kind of uh, touches base in, uh, in, in Antioch and, and Cyprus and Asia Minor and, and, and then goes back to Antioch. But that's modern-day Syria, Turkey, Asia, and, uh, and, and, and that's where Paul's first journey was. Paul's second journey, uh, missionary journey, uh, was similar but went further, went into Tarsus and Darby and Lystra where he met Timothy. Uh, went into Philippi, where he would then write uh, to the Philippians in, in Athens, and, and Ephesus was part of this, in the, kind of the middle of the map on the coast in Asia. And that's where Timothy first experienced Ephesus, this church that he would be called to do the work uh, that was in. And then you got the third missionary journey up there as well, and he went on a fourth one too. Um, and similar in this time. But I, I tell you this because you look at this map and this travel, and I mean, literally, Paul gathered people and they jumped in their Tesla and they just drove like miles and miles. And no, they didn't. They walked uh, or swam. I mean, they probably had boats, but, um, but, but thanks for the one person that laughs at my jokes. I need one of you two. Uh, so, no. Um, but they, they journeyed together. And, and, and that for me, just so you know, that for me is, 
is the truth that the Bible displays for us. That Timothy and Paul walked together. They, uh, they, 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 they journeyed together. They uh, faced opposition together. There is no person here that walked on earth that knew Paul as much as Timothy did, I feel. I really feel that. I mean, short of Jesus when he walked his ministry here, but it was actually separate. But, but Timothy and Paul knew each other. They cried together. They, they, uh, they sweated together as they walked through the, the desert. They, they, they uh, faced this op- opposition. Paul, oftentimes, as he went city to city, got beat. And Timothy experienced that. So much so that Scripture tells us at one time, Timothy said that he thought about giving up. He was going to toss in the towel and be done with what was going on, the opposition that they faced. And they overcome, and they persevered together. And despite all they faced, the church continued to grow. The church continued to, uh, to grow, even though as they hit the cities, and as Paul did what was accustomed to go to the Jewish synagogues first, as he faced opposition, then he went to the streets and shared his influence with everybody that would just listen. And the church, despite all that opposition and everything that was going on, despite that Timothy at times was like, dude, I'm out. The church grew. And we have to know that uh, during this one stint at the end of Paul's around, I think it's like 60, 62 is when it, the, the thought is that uh, this book was written. Paul was actually in jail. And, uh, and it comes after Paul had traveled with Timothy and thought to himself, you know what, I need Timothy. Timothy, I need you to go back to Ephesus. There's some stuff going on there that I need you to write, that I need you to have your, your influence. Your calling that God's put on your life is equipped to further this ministry here at Ephesus. And so he sends, he sends Timothy there. And you have to realize that the church of Ephesus, was, Ephesus at that time was probably right about where we're at. Eight to ten years old. Paul visiting there on his second ministry uh, journey. And then on his third ministry journey uh, with Timothy, they stayed there for upwards of three years and so if you put that time together, the church itself, what Paul had started was, was 8 to 10 years old. And CTK Sudden Valley, as I mentioned, 10 years ago, we planted this church with little toddlers, and, uh, and, 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 and it continues to grow, and we continue to do the work. But at that time, this church was somewhat established that, that uh, Paul was sending Timothy to. And that's a context we have to have. But let me remind you that for Timothy, it wasn't a call that to Paul. It wasn't a, uh, a call that Timothy felt, well, Paul told me I had to do it, so I'm going to do it. And for us, as we have people who lead ministries and direct ministries, as you hear me often say, hey, it's time, we need some people to help out downstairs, or we need some people to, to help out with the greeting team, that's not a call from me. I might tap you on the shoulder and you might say yes, but the goal in all of that is the relational influence and the relational impact that God desires for you to have in the ministry that he's called you to, whatever that may be. It's not to fill a hole or to fill a gap or to... My, our goal in that is that you would relationally connect with God in a way of service that is unmatched in other areas of your life as we serve him and as we look for him to direct us and lead us into that unique creativity as, 
as, uh, as Genevieve shared with us with her, with her mystery box. Uh, it was a call to Jesus. And throughout the books of Timothy and then on into Titus, it is a call back to focusing on and putting God in his rightful place. That, that God comes first in all things and that his spirit actually leads, leads us into those areas of, of development. Uh, and that's that overarching theme throughout the book. So 2 Timothy uh, 2, 3 through 5 says, uh, this, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And that the centrality of in First and Second Timothy is, is focusing on Christ. And for them, for them at that time, uh, in Ephesus and actually throughout the known world at that time, uh, there were many gods, lower G, not uppercase G. But there were many gods that people uh, worshipped, that people uh, devoted their lives to. And so that is the environment that Paul is sending Timothy into. And I think if we're, if we're honest or stuff, that's the environment we live in as well. Right? And he starts his letter with this. And so we get into the very first verse of, of uh, 1 Timothy 1. Timothy, my true son... In the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ our Lord. Uh, Paul didn't have children, uh, and so he isn't saying Timothy is his son. What he's saying is that I value you as much of a son, as a son. That's the level of relationship that we have. And then on into verse three, it says, "I urge you, when you went to Macedonia, uh, when when I went into Mace, uh, Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may uh, you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer, or devote themselves to myth and, and endless genealogies. Such things provoke, pro promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith." The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart uh, and a God uh, and a good conscience in uh, in a sincere faith. So have departed from uh, some have departed. I'm struggling here. Uh, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about uh, or what they so confidently affirm. In this writing to Timothy, he says that I urge you when I went to Macedonia to stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And I thought to myself, well, what is that myths and endless genealogy uh, alluding to? Myths, at that time there was philosophers like Plato, specifically Plato and these things. This is what that's referencing uh, the tradition is not found, it's, they're traditions that are not found in Scripture. They're traditions that uh, people adapt that contradict biblical truth and biblical teaching. Uh, and what Paul is saying here, and he'll allude to in a second, is that talking about those things is one thing, but devoting your life to things other than biblical teaching, what God has for you, that's where we get into a little bit of, uh, uh, of trouble. And the endless genealogy is this idea at that time, and even today, uh, it comes to who do you know, right? 
At that time, your genealogy, who, who birthed who and who did what, uh, that, that idea of uh, having a family heritage like connected all the way back to Abraham, like for some, uh, at least for the Jewish, Jewish forefathers at that time, the genealogy in Scripture, they believed to prove their importance. Like their importance, their greater than other people importance was linked to their genealogies. And so Paul is saying that that's, not the way that God works. Not, it's not the way that this new, this, this covenant with Jesus works. Um, you have people who have been teaching false doctrine and false ideas. And so I asked you guys a question this morning, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to welcome some answers here. What are some uh, culturally false doctrines that we devote ourselves to? Anybody? You with me? That if you, yeah, so you believe in Jesus, red carpets laid out, life is easy. Golden brick road, if I give my life to Jesus, things are going to be easy. We know that not to be true. I, I know that. Today. Maybe all of us don't. But yes, that, that is something. What a, anything else? What a, anybody else? What are some false doctrines we devote our lives to? So, so a devotion to Jesus is what gets us there, not anything else. Yes. Anything else? What about some worldly things that we often can devote our lives to? <laughs> Two footballs at the exact same time. Yes. Uh, hobby or football or like uh, a, a, a culture around that for sure, for sure. Now I'm feeling guilty that I'm going to watch the Super Bowl later. Thanks, Chad. No. Yes. Yeah. Those who die with the most toys win, right? So money. Devote ourselves to money. What about how, teenage girls? What about TikTok? Fame, right? Pe people, oh, Abby doesn't have TikTok. Um, no. <laughs> but, but that's it, right? Fame. Being known, like me being known, right? Accomplishment, right? I've worked really hard to get where I'm at in life, and that's why I'm where I'm at in life. And we attach ourselves to accomplishment. And I think the church does this, and in, in, uh, in, in some of what Allison and other people said, the do-goodedness, like as a Christian, I'm just supposed to do good. And so, like, I'm going to devote my life to making sure I do good rather than focusing on the relationship. The holier than thou, right? As a church, we've got it all figured out and everybody else doesn't. I mean, I hope you don't hear that from me. We didn't hear it from Dave in his honest moment with us. Like, we don't, you don't have it all figured out. If you're perfect, if you feel you're perfect and you're here, you're in the wrong spot. No perfect people allowed, right? Um... That God is a, is a God of discipline and action, action-based rather than uh, faith. I mean, actions play a great part of that when our heart is in the right spot. I was having that discussion this morning. It says that such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work. 
We're advancing the actions of those things, all the things that you guys listed. You came up with a list. I didn't. Uh, no. All the things that you guys listed are the things that we're promoting rather than Christ. Right? But here's the deal, church. The key point is what follows this verse. Because uh, as we get into all of this stuff, right, the key point uh, whatever we discuss from here on out in this series, whatever we dive into and dip our toe into and talk about, um, it's all summed up in this next verse in First Timothy. And I don't know that this is the like the anchor verse of the scripture, but it but it definitely is. So the goal of this command, so the goal of what I'm about to say, Paul says, all of it. Sexuality, women in ministry, can they teach? Can they be pastors, slaves, the role that slaves played at that time and how culturally we're different and things have changed. The generosity, there's a piece on generosity in this book and giving, leader structure of the church, how we worship. Next week we're gonna look at 2 Timothy 2 is like worship, like how do we worship? Whatever we dive into from here on, it's this. The goal of this command is love period. We could end it there, but there's a comma. It says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. I've talked about all the things that I've done, all that I've accomplished, all that I've built up in my bank account, all that I've, uh, that, that qualifies me for, for, you know, the next life, like all of that stuff. And talk until I'm blue in the face, but all of it comes back to the command of love. That they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm in their life. It's love before all the stuff, what you know or don't know about somebody. It's love. Before uh, people have wronged you or haven't wronged you, it's love. Regardless of whatever action was committed or whatever you've uh, been able to accomplish in your life, before that, the command is love. The love that Jesus gave. And in verse 12, in that first chapter, it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considers me trustworthy. And this is Paul writing this. Appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I've shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Those are Paul's words. The most prolific writer of the New Testament, one that understands God at the highest level possible and has written about it and, is, and given it divinely instruction for us. And it goes back to what we said, perfect people not allowed. But Paul is saying there that in the position that I am, I'm not worthy. But my focus and attention on Christ and putting him first in all things, the supremacy of him in my life 
is what is first. And it's what he's reminding Timothy of in this moment. Paul had lived that life. He had lived the life of what he says is ignorant, right? A life of allowing culture and his actions to be affected by a false sense of self, a, a, a false God, a false reality, a false uh, sense of security. He had become ignorant to what the creator had created him for. Church, where in your life where in your life have you allowed your life to venture away from what the creator desires for you into that? Where in your life have you allowed ignorance? Where in your life have you allowed your views on a certain topic or a certain idea to become a devotion? Where in your life have you allowed yourself to believe this is where my value is rather than this is where my value is. That this is the value that God has given me. Verse 16 through 20 says this, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. I am not worthy. But for that very reason, I have shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal and invisible, only God be honor and glory forever and ever. And then he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that you by recalling them, may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwrecked in regard to their faith. It is the greatest reminder for us that our God has a relational calling for us to step down from our pedestals, to step down from our outside of the tornado of accomplishment and achievement and, uh, and ability into a position of which Paul steps into and says, not me, but God. I'm not worthy. God, we have to give this to you. And so throughout this series, we're going to continue to look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy in a way that displays for us certainly Paul's love for Timothy, but even more so than that, the love of our creator, our God, our father, and what he desires for us, his children, are his sons and daughters. Same affection that Paul writes to Timothy, my son, my daughter. What I have for you, if you're willing to take it in, is far greater than what you're trying to do what you're trying to accomplish in your life. So I leave you with this. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you humbly. We come before you in 
with the sense of maybe some uncertainty, maybe some turmoil as my brother Dave poured in. Lord, we come to you broken. Lord, we come to you with desire. Lord, but it is my prayer, it is our prayer that we come before you in reverence, awe of the mighty way that you are willing to work with us, Lord. The way that you're willing to step into a relationship with us, Lord. The way that you're willing to press in on the areas of our lives where we have held as tight as we can onto, Lord. Lord, it is our desire to follow hard after you and experience everything that you have for us. So this morning, we want to turn our hearts and minds to you. Lord, I pray a prayer of abundance over each one of us. I pray a prayer of love and acceptance over each one of us, Lord. I pray your truth in blessing and provisions, Lord. Lord, may we step into the, the truth of who you are and who you created each one of us to be.